0: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said? See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13.
1: Last week on the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast, as well as some older stuff that obliterated Nate or was a little bit naughty.
0: How is Michael Thomas going to get any targets when Adam Troutman's out there? Teddy Bridgewater came back sooner than Michael Thomas. And there was an ambulance and there was a prayer circle. He's like staring into the sun for me. And.
1: You're dead in the water already, bro. What do you need a rookie ADP for? I felt attacked. And. Dude, why is he going in the first round?
0: Thank God it's not my roster. And. And the next thing you know, you're in a situation that's technically illegal. Like Christian Kirk at the Waste Management Phoenix Open at the TPC in Scottsdale. This was a bad idea, guys. And what's up? All
1: right, fuck it. I'm out of here. That's the kind of shit. That's why they tune in, that's why they show up. (laughs) What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sonic Tour. Jesus. <laughs> I truly appreciate that my time is valued. And. Airbnb in Chernobyl. Oh, God. That's so good. And. I mean, it's not like I'm looking at, at how my neighbor cut his lawn to figure out how to cut my own. I cut my lawn the way I want to cut my lawn. I don't care how he cut his lawn. And. And
0: carefree jay he's holding his dick throwing his head back don't care and todd haley and his wife don't believe in wearing clothes at all and
1: he was so good he was tackled by the penis and it's the best way to go out on a
0: sweatpant boner and is this the time when you think people start masturbating to the show
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. I'm your host, Nate Liss. You can find me on Twitter at an outraged Jew. And, of course, with me is Matt Kelly. You can find him on Twitter at fantasy underscore mansion.
0: What's the good word, Matt? Oh, CD Lamb is what's up. CD Lamb is the word. Billy Muzio revealed to me on our new show, The Dominator, high-stakes fantasy show brought to you by the Fantasy Football World Championships. You think Ceedee Lamb's a first-round pick in seasonal leagues? He's gonna have a first-round ADP by the end of the summer, and if that's the case, given his age, then he has to be the number three wide receiver in Dynasty. There's no way around it.
1: Yeah, I I think that I think the Amari Cooper trade was kind of what unlocked. That wide receiver three conversation, and then when A.J. Brown went to the Eagles, it was kind of a done deal, at least in my opinion. I think that upside was always tangible, and when we look at C.D. Lamb as a prospect, coming out of college, he was an elite prospect. I mean, this guy, I think that gets lost sort of in, in the minutiae of everything over the last two years. I think his production has been better than he's given credit for with two back-to-back 1,000 scrimmage yard seasons. But this is a guy that got labeled as a slot receiver his first year. Then last year, I think he ran just 32%. But you look at him versus all these different types of coverage, and believe it or not, he was even better or about even with Jamar Chase in multiple sets of these. But if the fact that CeeDee Lamb going back into the slot is a deterrent for people, I would disagree because Keenan Allen, Cooper Cup, Tyler Lockett, Chris Godwin, all these guys are dominant from the slot, and that's a great place to run from.
0: Look at the top four wide receivers on the breakout finder from 2020. See that? There it is. You see that? There it is. See it? There it is. Bingo. Bingo. Bongo. And it's not even close. Like 57.9 down to T. Higgins at 51.3 down to LaVisca Chenault. Oh, man. Mm. LaVisca Chenault. What a disappointment. The metrics love LaVisca Chenault. (sighs) I think
1: the ceiling's capped. The floor still exists,
0: but the ceiling is not not, the same. It's not great. Now they're trying to convert him into Corderell Patterson, giving him carries out of the backfield. That's the new plan. going to try to get the ball in his hands. going to try to scheme him into space. No good. No good. CeeDee Lamb, though, the clear number one wide receiver in the breakout finder from 2020. (laughs) Did you see Jerry Judy on that list? He was down at the bottom, and there was no Henry Ruggs at all. These Alabama wide receivers, the breakup finder's like, no, 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 I'm not falling for it. Not falling for these Alabama wide receivers. Good for the breakup finder, man. Good for the. Hey, listen, CeeDee Lamb is the only wide receiver in the database comparable to Jerry Rice on playerprofiler.com. Dominant college receiver, huge yards per reception, target share, and he, he did it early on at Oklahoma. And so, you know, he, he put up. As a 18-year-old, 800 yards. You're going to put up 800 yards. I don't care what – it doesn't matter. You could be in a small school, right? You could be in the the Mountain Whack. You could be in the MAC. You could be in the, the North Atlantic uh, Independent Conference. You put up 800 yards at age 18, much less at Oklahoma, probably pretty good. Uh, I'm sure you're pretty good, and
1: again, that takes us back to the Amari Cooper, you know, trade that really set all this up. And Dak is the quarterback you want to be tethered to. This guy has had immense levels of pass attempts. Dallas plays with a very high pace of play. He has a lot of deep ball attempts. You know, he's accurate. I mean, all all these things fit in line with what you want out of a quarterback to be tethered to. And when Amari Cooper left, that made You know, that made uh, CeeDee Lamb the de facto wide receiver one in this offense. And I think he understands that now this is a role that he has to step
0: up and assume. And I think he's going to fulfill it. Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't he? Right? Why wouldn't he? He's been good. He just hasn't been great. Right. And the funny thing is, before this whole Amari Cooper trade happened, I was fading CeeDee Lamb. I was saying CeeDee Lamb, as the wide receiver three in Dynasty, is overvalued. Show it to me. Show me you can post 15-plus fantasy points a game. Just show me once before I go ahead and vault you. We're going to keep T. Higgins. We're going to keep Cooper Cup, Stephon Diggs, A.J. Brown in that chair until CeeDee Lamb can show us. But what has happened? Well, A.J. Brown got traded, and so did Amari Cooper. And once Mark Cooper was gone, then the law of the conservation of targets took over. And it's time to just start making a projection. And the projection for 2022 is just so tantalizing for CeeDee Lamb because of the offense. This is going to be one of, if not the fastest paced offense in the league. It's a very challenging schedule in a good way. Lots of shootouts this year. A lot more than last year. That was the big problem with C.D. Lamb is they found themselves in a lot of positive game script situations where they could just run Zeke and run Pollard in the second half. And it, they didn't need to throw. A lot of those games, they didn't need to throw. When you're facing the Giants and Mike Glennon, what are you doing? You're running the ball. Right? You don't even need to throw. And Dak was also coming back from a major injury. So now Dak has this healthy offseason with C.D. Lamb. Remember last year... Dak Prescott also hurt his shoulder during training camp. They were on hard knocks, and he didn't participate in most of training camp. He was rehabbing. He wanted to get back out there, but he had that baseball injury to his shoulder. So we're talking about lower body injury, upper body injury. Now he's had this clean and healthy offseason heading into a schedule that is going to be brutal in the best possible way where they're just going to have to throw and throw and throw and throw to be competitive. And they've already shown, especially the combination of Dak and Kellen Moore, that they like to play fast and call plays fast and get out there, turn up the tempo, and run and gun. So it's going to be a run and gun Cowboys with a clear number one wide receiver. How do you not love it at age 23? He's 23 years old. If he's not a top three dynasty receiver, I don't know what is. I mean, you look at how many times Dallas
1: threw the ball just last year and you know, Dak was tops in the league in pass attempts. Michael Gallup is rehabbing from an ACL tear. We have no idea specifically when he comes back or at what quality he returns. Midseason. Mid let's say midseason. They added Jalen Tolbert, who we'll probably talk about here in a minute as well. They've got still the similar tight end play from last year, but if this is a team that continues to pass at the rate that they did, who is the ball going to? Like it is going to CeeDee Lamb over and over and over again. James Washington? Right, exactly. And so this was one of the things that came up. Everybody continued to cite that target share that was wide receiver 36 range, 20.4% last season. The expectation has to be that we see a climb amongst this number, just with the departure of Amari alone, but now factor in the injuries around him. The rookie and Jalen Tolbert, we don't even know, it, not a knock to him. We don't
0: know if he's even good or not yet. We do know he's good. I want Jalen Tolbert, too. I love Jalen Tolbert. We'll get to him. Jalen Tolbert, for all those reasons that C.D. Lamb is surging, so is Jalen Tolbert surging up the Dynasty rankings. I want Jalen Tolbert. He's one of my uh, most heavily rostered players in Dynasty rookie drafts, trying to get all the Jalen Tolbert I can at the end of the second round. Gimme, 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 gimme. I want a refined monster producer drafted day two, on what is looking to be the best offense for passing game fantasy production, you want Jalen Tolbert. For that reason, you also would want James Washington. James Washington is someone that I'm trying to get thrown into deals. You want to pick him up if he's somehow in the player pool. He's going to have weeks as well. You're going to get production from James Washington. It was nice that he started mini camp rehabbing an injury from last year so that'll fully suppress his ADP as much as possible. But as soon as he starts showing some signs, showing some flashing, some some big plays in training camp, James Washington's ADP is going to pop. Jalen Tolbert, same thing. As soon as you start to see some flash plays from Tolbert in training camp, his ADP is going to pop. But uh, you can't bury the lead. It's, it's all about CeeDee Lamb. Although, I just want everybody. right. I'm not trying to bury the lead, but it, it is still true that I do want absolutely everybody. From Schultz to James Washington to Jalen Tolbert to Tony Pollard, just everybody. I mean Dak Prescott. You get Dak Prescott's a value right now. Everybody is. In dynasty, in seasonal leagues, in best ball, every format. Across the board.
1: Yeah. All of Dallas is. And to your point about Jalen Tolbert, I really like him. I thought he was the second round guy. I think it's pretty impressive that Dallas was able to get him in the third round. I think he's going to be much better than expectation. But you look at the wide receiver, too, for Dak Prescott, the second wide receiver in the offense over the past three years, he's averaged 7.7 targets per game. And there is an absolute expectation for Jalen Tolbert to produce immediately. In this offense. I agree with the James Washington take because we just don't know. Cedric Wilson had weeks. These other guys had weeks. Yes. But Jalen Tolbert is going to get every opportunity to dominate in this offense. Obviously, Gallup got the contract, but again... We just don't know how it's going to function. All things being said, though, CeeDee Lamb is absolutely the guy, should get a bump, and his ceiling is incredible this year.
0: We take a tour around the Dallas Cowboys offense, right? Oh, look at that guy. I love that guy. And to your right, you'll notice uh, the the James Washington. And if you look to your left, you have a Dak Prescott, who also could be more mobile this year. If he's going to be fully healthy, he also could be running a bit more, especially in the red zone for touchdowns. You could see Dak Prescott running for five touchdowns very easily, still in his prime. Oh, and over to your left, and then over to your right. But vehicle you're riding in is the CeeDee Lamb vehicle. That is the big, that is the thing. That is going to be the focus, is is getting your hands on CeeDee Lamb. Also, Jalen Tolbert's ability to play outside, and he has been playing outside in minicamp, that's been noteworthy, is important because CeeDee Lamb is less than 200 pounds. He is best deployed in the slot. That's where he was most efficient last year. And it's great if you can have a James Washington and a Gallup when he comes back with Jalen Tolbert manning those outside positions and maximize the slot snaps for CeeDee Lamb. That's what we want. CeeDee Lamb out of the slot is terrifying.
1: That That's what you want. I mean, again, I, I can go back to the statement, but these dominant slot receivers over the last couple years with these
0: impressive college profiles. They come into the league. You're talking about uh, Cooper Cup? Is that, is that the guy you're, you're trying to, you're comparing Cooper cup to Ceedee lamb, right? Sure. It's not a crazy comparison. They're physically similar. They had similar dominant college profiles, similar career trajectories. It's not like Cooper cup was like a monster producer in his rookie year.
1: He wasn't. No, but you know, and C D is C D is such an impressive playmaker as well. He has so many things that Cooper Cup doesn't have. Now, Cooper Cup is an incredible route runner. His rapport with Goff at the time and now Stafford is unbelievable. And I think we kind of knew that Cup would be great in this offense. We didn't know that he would be phenomenal the way that he has been. But I I love the idea of him going back into the slot. Now Jalen Tolbert did play primarily outside in his early years. Um, At South Alabama, last year he saw a little bit more slots. So he has that versatility, and th- they've talked about that in training camp. So when you get him and Gallup on the outside eventually, and you get CD in the slot with Dak, with these weapons out of the backfield, and Schultz, I mean... There are just so many weapons, and I think that's going to also take a little bit of the pressure off CeeDee Lamb. Going back into the slot, that was the argument all along, is that he doesn't clash well on the outside. He's not a winner on the outside. I mean, his his man coverage rates would disagree. Again, go look at Jamar Chase last year. Go look at CeeDee Lamb, and CeeDee Lamb ran the least amount of slot routes last year that he did over the couple years he's been in the league, so... He was better than given credit for, but him going into the slot is where his value lies. He's a
0: low BMI wide receiver. That's the issue. You don't want him facing opposing alpha cornerbacks. You want to put him in motion and try to make sure he can line up against the maximum number of slot corners. And he's going to be Dak's first read. Almost every play, it's going to be where's Lamb, where's Lamb, where's Lamb, where's Lamb. And when they go four wide, guess who they're going to put in the slot on the other side? You tell me. Tony Pollard. Love it. Tony Pollard. Tony Pollard's upside is top five running back in fantasy because most running backs miss multiple games with injuries. right? And Ezekiel Elliott played through a torn PCL last year. That increases his probability of getting hurt this year. It's just, it's just math. It's just the, just our injury finder math. We have an injury finder algorithm that tells us this. Should Tony Pollard be ranked ahead of Elijah Mitchell in Dynasty? No, no. And then, no, he shouldn't be.
1: I was teeing you up for that. I was teeing you up. You know, as well as I do, and many other fantasy, you know, players know, Tony Pollard is, is probably the league's best handcuff. And if he's not, he's right there in the top two conversation.
0: Only if you consider, like, A.J. Dillon a handcuff, and I really don't. I, I
1: don't anymore, I, and it's hard, it's hard to even consider Pollard that because he's been averaging over 100 touches a year for the past couple of years, so he's definitely more of, like, a one. It's not a one B, per se, because Zeke's volume is so high, but he's not a handcuff the traditional way that, like, a Madison would be or a whatever, so he's definitely elevated, but my one concern... We know that Pollard's great. Number six in yards created per touch, top five in juke rate, top three in breakaway run rate. The problem is, short of a Zeke injury, which you sort of alluded to, his value truly comes with an injury, but he carries value standalone because of his usage. Zeke is going to be the guy until at least 2024 when he has a palatable you know, dead cap amount of six million in 2023. He carries 11 million. That contract was so bad for Dallas. They know it was bad. So at the time that Pollard becomes a free agent, which is the end of this season, Zeke is still going to be carrying an immense contract. They don't probably not going to sign both guys. It doesn't make sense. So I'm concerned. And additionally, last season when you look at Pollard, he had only four games with a snap share of greater than 43 or 40 percent. Of all of his games, none of them were higher than 43. So yeah. his usage is just, it's so low. So the allure is an injury to Zeke. Five games with 14 or more fantasy points. I know, but it's a Zeke injury, is it not? I, get, I No, I love the idea of the expanded offense. Now that's potential if Gallup doesn't come back healthy. If-
0: you can play him in flex regardless. He has yes. some standalone value. Yes. So you're not punting if you have to play him. Yes. And most running backs miss multiple games with injuries every year. This is not
1: yes. rooting
0: for an injury. This is not hoping for an injury. This is expecting an injury because this is the position. No, I, I agree.
1: And, and Zeke is definitely one of these guys that feels like he's on the trajectory. And you know, you've know you obviously done the math behind this. He's on the trajectory for a probable injury. And Tony Pollard has just shown a, a, a diversive gameplay style and he's hard to tackle and he creates yards after contact and he can do everything. I mean, does everything.
0: There's no scenario where Elijah Mitchell is the chalk DFS running back. There's no scenario where that would be the case because the 49ers do not throw the ball to running backs very often. And they're going to throw the running backs passes even less with Trey Lance at quarterback. Cause Trey Lance is going to pull targets out of the passing game and specifically running back targets because he's going to check down less and he's going to try to run for first downs more. So take whatever projection you have for Elijah Mitchell's targets this year and reduce it. I'm just telling you, just redu- whatever you have for it, reduce it, right? And then all those uh, red zone carries you think he's going to get aren't going to materialize because uh, Trey Lance is going to go ahead and try to run it in. So Elijah Mitchell has a a glaring Trey Lance problem. And if you close your eyes and imagine a scenario, just in daily fantasy, when everyone would be running out to get Elijah Mitchell, that's never going to happen this year. It won't happen. It's impossible. The ceiling is not there for Elijah Mitchell. The ceiling for Tony Pollard, because if you close your eyes, if and when Zeke is hurt, you close your eyes, okay, everyone's going to go out and have Pollard, like 60% ownership. (laughs) It's going to be wild because he's going to have RB1 in fantasy weekly upside. Because he has the all-purpose skill set. And it's not just as a runner, the great juke rate and yards-created ability. He's also number 1 in yards per route run as a receiver out of the backfield last year. And then they're going to go ahead and probably line him up in the slot even more than they did last year. So I expect his usage as a receiver to go up, fueling yet more standalone value. But because this offense is going to be so prolific for all the reasons we laid out earlier... His ceiling is as high as any running back in the NFL. Like if Elliott isn't playing, Pollard is right there with McCaffrey and Jonathan Taylor.
1: Yeah, he he definitely would offer twenty point per week upside easily and greater with touchdown potential. I mean, in the Elijah Mitchell conversation is funny. I mean it's it's a good it's a good dichotomy to have the debate between the two guys. I also think that Elijah Mitchell left a lot of production on the table last year, in addition to being a guy that's just not really targeted in the passing game. I think he's neck and neck at this point on a per-game target basis with Tony Pollard. I think Tony Pollard was about 3.3, and I actually think that I'd have to look at Mitchell. Maybe he was right around 3 or just under, but you lose Mike McDaniel, who was an incredibly creative coordinator, and this was a team that was in the bottom 10 or 12 and running back targets last year. So what do they become now with Trey Lance, right? So you're exactly right. It's not good. On a week-to-week basis, if Pollard's scoring any touchdowns, he might actually pace Elijah Mitchell game-to-game anyways because that production does exist. He's already averaging
0: over 10 a game as it is. Everyone says fantasy football is an upside sport. Upside wins championships. That's the line, right? That's the mantra. And then they go out and don't draft Pollard. It's like, what do you do? Either you live by what you preach or you don't. Because if you're going out and you're drafting an Elijah Mitchell at his ADP and it's higher in all formats, significantly higher, then you're doing it wrong. You're just doing it wrong. If you're coming away with a draft, and, hey, I got Elijah Mitchell. Hey, I got Tony Pollard. Yeah. Oh, w- w- which is better? Pollard. And then... Uh, It's possible. I mean, it's crazy to think about because it's not like they're that far away in age, like a year away. One guy's 24.1, Mitchell. Pollard is 25.1. They're exactly one year apart in age. Mitchell goes at pick 70 in best ball. Pollard goes at pick 90. They're a little bit closer in dynasty startups, but Mitchell goes well earlier. And at cost, Pollard is just a much better value And I'm not going to be at all surprised when Pollard just simply moves ahead of him in Dynasty, even before the season. Depending on what happens with training camp and preseason, how this shakes out, how Tyrion Davis Price is used, for example, watch for Pollard simply passing Mitchell in the pure Dynasty rankings regardless of ADP.
1: Well, you know, and I've also heard people talk about well, you know, some of his. And by the way, it was 1.8 targets per game, so it's half as many as Tony Pollard already. Who and Tony Pollard's not even getting any workload at all. So, but when you you look at Mitchell, people always bring up that you know he was facing a top 12 average defenders in the box, and it's like, okay, that was with Garoppolo. You saw what happened to J.K. Dobbins playing with Lamar Jackson with an extra defender, keeping an eye on Lamar. What it does to the extra defenders in the box? Now put him with Trey Lance, so the box could could remain loaded. And if that was an issue last year, why would it not be again an issue this year with a quarterback that's essentially a black box prospect in terms of what he's even going to do at the next level? We don't even know. He might not target the running back, same way Lamar doesn't target the running back. So where's the
0: upside? Question from the chat. Oh boy. Jalen Tolbert or Tyquan Thornton? Jalen Tolbert. No, easily. Easily. Yeah, draft capital be damned. Easily. That, that's not that's that's laughable. That's a laughable question. But why is it laughable? Why is it laughable? Is it laughable because of the two respective talent profiles? I would argue no. I'd argue no. Certainly, Jalen Tolbert's a more impressive prospect. But then, on the other hand, Tyquan Thornton was drafted around earlier. So there is an argument that Tyquan Thornton and Jalen Tolbert are close to equivalent just in in a vacuum. And, And the Breakout Finder app tells you that, right? So that's the beauty of the Breakout Finder app is it helps to keep us more modest. However, it goes back to the situation. These are the two polar opposite situations. You have the Patriots who may finish last in pass rate and pace of play, and Dallas who could finish first in both of those categories. The team situation fuels the upside. Even if Tyquan Thornton exceeds expectations, what are you really getting? That's the question you need to ask yourself. If Jalen Tolbert exceeds expectations, he could be rookie of the year. That's why it's such a clear choice, but you only get there by zooming out and, and looking at these two players in the context of their teams.
1: Well, here's the, here's the other issue, too. I, I totally agree. I could see there is absolutely a scenario for the people that just like choked on whatever they were eating about the idea of Tolbert being rookie of the year. That's absolutely a potential. Not saying it's a high probability, but it is a potential. You look at the Patriots, there's two factors when we talk about Thornton. Number one, they whiff on every wide receiver they draft. They cannot draft wide receivers. And number two, what do they do to wide receivers that aren't developed all the way? You remember what happened to Neil, Nikhil Harry? Remember what happened to, to Dobson or whatever, whoever, like Chad Jackson? I mean, I can go all the way back 10 years. Yeah, so these guys, they, they don't necessarily give a shot to you because you have the draft capital where Dallas is going to do the opposite of that. I spent a third round pick on you. I need production today. And to be quite honest with you, if it's not Jacoby Myers, it's going to be Devontae Parker as one of the big guys in this offense this year. I think Parker could actually have a pretty decent year without diving into this conversation. I don't know how Taequann is really in the conversation right now just because of the second-round capital.
0: I, just, I don't see it. Not over Tolbert. The only player I want in that offense, in that passing game, is Myers. I
1: agree. I'll give you that.
0: Just don't sleep on Parker this year. And overall... I want Ramadre Stevenson as well because this is going to be a bully ball offense and Stevenson has 10 plus touchdown upside in the context of that particular offense. It's still not great, right? I don't want any Damian Harris because they're not going to be running enough plays. He's not going to be scoring from the 15 yard line as much and Stevenson is there and Kevin Harris is there and Pierre Strong is there. I'm never drafting the most expensive Patriots running back. That's not something you ever do. But Stevenson, on the other hand, has some appeal, Myers has some appeal, and that's where it ends. That's the end of the appeal.
1: I'm, I'm with that. Isn't the other concern for Thornton, uh, especially in this offense, knowing Belichick and his style, the fact that you've got Parker and you've got Bourne and you've got Myers and you've got Aguilar, you've got all these veterans, wh- whether good or not, that are just going to continue to get this little bit of opportunity or more significant opportunity. And what is his upside? So the answer is no. Him versus Tolbert,
0: just because of draft capital, it's still not close. His upside is very low. His downside is a complete zero. If it's not the fourth round of a rookie draft, I'm not drafting Taquan Thornton. But in the fourth round, sure, it's a second-round guy with athleticism, fine. But Tolbert's a guy... I'm reaching for at the end of the second round. is a completely different conversation. What about, what about, now if you're a Devontae Parker truther, you may also be a Paris Campbell truther, because there's been some preseason or mini camp buzz, at least, around Paris Campbell.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, how many times can we take this ride? Uh, my answer is one more. I mean, I, I will get back on the Paris Campbell wagon as many times as it takes. This this offense is going to look different this year too. Um, there's no guarantees. Michael Pittman, from an offensive standpoint, is absolutely the guy to own. But when we get to the conversation of who's next, there's no ga- there's no guarantee that Alec Pierce is going to be surefire or great. You know, Frank Reich has talked for years and most recently once again about the upside of Paris Campbell, the problem is we go back to the combine metrics and the still unknown true talent. And what he did week one of 2020 is pretty much what's got me still on the, on the hook. And so I'm willing to take the ride again at cost, but you know, the the ceiling, like we had a conversation about before is capped, but the floor is still very unrealized.
0: I think he's a better player than Alec Pierce. They were drafted almost the same draft slot, similar profiles. Alec Pierce is essentially just Paris Campbell, if he went to Cincinnati, right? I, mean, I mean, they, Yeah, athletically, they're very similar. Very similar, but at least Paris Campbell put up 1,000 yards on the Ohio State offense, and he's even faster and just a better prospect. So I, I think it's close between those two in a vacuum, but I wouldn't be surprised if Ashton Doolin's better than both of them. Looking at Michael Pittman. <laughs> what I, I like how you go out on that, but we can
1: agree, if, if we were going to pick... The players from this offense that we would care to own. It goes Taylor, Pittman, and I would put Hines in that conversation.
0: Yes, Naheem Hines is going to have some value this year. Whenever they're down, he's going to have weeks. He's going to have some eight to 10 target games. Naheem Hines is going to play a lot of slot. He's a very interesting player because the touches have consolidated there that no Pascal, no Ty Hilton will come back to Ashton Doolin. I know you're dismissive of Ashton Doolin. I'd be interested to know if you have any Doolin on any of your deep dynasty teams as a stash on the taxi squad. Yeah, you do absolutely. Yeah, I I do because
1: you know that that has been an offense that's been churning the bottom of itself for quite some time. It, if any offense was going to sift for gold and find it, they were one of them because they continued to get these guys you just named and they would give them opportunities and keep them on the roster and with the injuries that they've dealt with from T.Y. to Paris, it's like this would be the team where the guy would ascend and he's still on the roster and so there's no reason to give up quite yet. I still
0: own him. Ceiling, though, is, where's the camera? Okay, so you could argue that they've already struck gold with Ashton Doolin because he's an all-pro. He was named an All-Pro. All-Pro special teamer. It's fine. But still an All-Pro. He has that on his resume, on his locker. It's Ashton Doolin with his number, and then All-Pro underneath that. That's impressive. You're right. To call call him a
1: success and a hit is a fact. He's an
0: All-Pro. He's an NFL hit. He's not a fantasy hit yet, but his ability... Yeah. To score touchdowns. He has the highest touchdowns to target rate among any wide receiver from last season. It's like the
1: rest of the sentence would be not a fantasy football hit. And that would be like font size 12. And then the yet would be like font size, like 1.3. Right.
0: All pro. All pro. six one two ten 210 with athleticism. Nice size adjusted athleticism to go with a, a monster production at a small school. And then on a per target basis was super efficient and an All-Pro on special teams. This is how the Adam Thielen's of the world get created over time. They work their way up depth charts, and you start to see a team lose receivers and then not backfill them. Well, that's the Colts. They lost a couple receivers in the offseason, and they didn't backfill them with anyone other than Alec Pierce, who is one of the more busterific-looking wide receivers I've seen in a long time. Just not productive enough for a prolific offense in Cincinnati that I'm completely out, didn't come out early, bailed in the senior bowl early. Just get the hell out of here with Alec Pierce. Don't want to bury the lead. We love Michael Pittman. He looks like a wide receiver one in fantasy this year. Who would you rather have, Michael Pittman or Jalen Waddle? I want to throw this stat out there
1: because this is one that I had dug up once upon a time. I think it's great. Michael Pittman missed being a wide receiver one last season by nine fantasy points. So with that being said, Pittman or Waddle, at this point, I prefer Waddle. And this comes down to the fact that that Tyreek Hill contract is absolutely disgusting. That Tyreek Hill contract is worse than the Ezekiel Elliott contract in terms of a fantasy perspective because – I believe he's signed all the way till 2026 when his dead cap space actually becomes reasonable. But the reason that Waddle is still a guy to own is that age gap. And and the only—and hold on. So if you're going to trade Waddle, you have to wait till he produces. You're not trading him right now. I mean, your window was to trade him before the Tyreek Hill trade. His value has come down quite a bit. He was a top ten dynasty wide receiver for some people. I'm not selling him yet. Are you are you saying sell him?
0: No, I'm just saying if you're in a startup yes. and you have the opportunity to draft a Pittman or a Waddle, what do you do? I prefer doing? Pittman. I prefer Pittman at this point. And 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 it's by a
1: it's wow. by a decent margin nowadays. Again, that Tyreek Hill contract, it's disgusting. Okay, here's the, here would be a great question. I'm still going Waddle. <laughs> <laughs> why, but why? I'm still going to waddle. Do you believe that Tua is going to support two wide receivers? Okay, again, I brought up the statistic in a tweet a week or two ago about Jamar Chase and uh, T. Higgins and how neither of them, or maybe it was one game they had finished as both top 25 wide receivers or better. Otherwise, they had never finished as top 25 together in the same week across like 14 weeks. That's what Joe Burrow. Now, do you believe that with Tua... And Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill and Mike Isecki and their propensity to target the running back out of the backfield, as we hope, Do you actually believe that Jalen Waddle is going to return enough value to make him more valuable to Michael Pittman as the absolute de facto wide receiver one with Matt Ryan? I it, I would take
0: the bet that Pittman outscores Waddle this year, easy. The difference between them on the yes. dynasty rankings is point one three lifetime value rating points they are identical just in terms of dynasty value one guy is like a year and a half older than the other guy but the other guy was a top 10 pick and put up 15 plus fantasy points as a rookie with Tua as his quarterback with one of the worst starting quarterbacks in the NFL neither of these teams have their long-term answer at quarterback And they're both likely to be run-centric. I mean, that's what Mike McDaniel was in San Francisco. We know that's what the Colts are going to be. So neither of these offenses are going to be prolific. But Pittman has no competition. It's close. It's close. But it's not a smash on one side or the other. Because I'm not going to refuse to draft what I believe to be the more talented player in a vacuum. Because the team signed a guy and his projected target share just for the next year, the upcoming year diminished. That's not enough, man. That's not enough. Especially if we're talking about a Jalen Waddle level talent, top 10 pick 15 plus fantasy points as a rookie. That would be, I just keep going back to that. That is the safe move. What you're doing to go Waddle over Pittman is safe. What you're doing is riskier, but, I think it's worth noting because I think most services have Waddle in a different tier than Pittman still. And the fact that you're willing to just have Pittman pass him all together, we're willing to have them be essentially identical. To me, that's forward looking and bullish on Pittman. Still
1: the situation got worse for Waddle. It got better for Pittman last year. The difference between Waddle and Pittman was seven total fantasy points Across the entire season. Pittman's situation got better, Waddles got worse. Waddles got worse for quite some time. And it wasn't just that they signed Tyreek Hill. They signed Tyreek Hill to the second largest wide receiver contract in history. And it's long. It's five years of Tyreek Hill. We're getting we're getting more than a presidential term out of Tyreek Hill. And my concern that I go back to Waddle was used the wrong way, right? We look at how his college profile, he was a, he was a deep threat. He was an explosive playmaker. We've talked about this. Tua had no time to throw. They made him a short area guy. Tyreek Hill comes into town. I think you're going to get an even more volatile situation side by side than you get with T Higgins and Jamar Chase with a worse quarterback. And Tua has a great deep ball. But the question is, if you think that Tua is not the long-term answer, do you think it actually gets better? And when does it get better? So, I just think that there could be too much ambiguity between the potential of these two guys where Pittman, he's just locked into the guaranteed lead spot with a more accurate, better quarterback for whatever duration of time.
0: It's just the hurdle is much smaller. We both know they're both good receivers in a vacuum, right? We know Waddle's a good receiver just based on what I said before. Just the fact that he was a top 10 pick, 15 fantasy points a game as a rookie. That's all I need to know. That's it. Case closed. With Pittman, you have to dig a little deeper. You have to go to PlayerProfiler.com, scroll down to the advanced metrics table, and there you can see his win rate was top three in overall total win rate. And you start to parse through the advanced metrics, and you're like, oh, okay, it's clear he's good. Right? Players can't do that and be bad. That's not possible. All those receivers that have put up these aberrant top twenty-five seasons the peripheral advanced metrics have not been nearly as impressive. So I think that's just the bottom line. The bottom line is these are wide receivers that are outside the top 12. They're very good. And they're going to be interesting to monitor as we go forward because they're not DJ Moore, They're not DK Metcalf. They're not AJ Brown, right? They're these 24, 25 year old wide receivers that are a level down from the best of that age group.
1: That's I mean, that's fair. I I think the difference too, you know, Michael Pittman doesn't have the juice that DJ Moore has. But I also don't think that the air yards and that volume is going to be quite the same. I mean, we saw Pittman last year at about 130 targets. I think we'll see a little more than that this year. But still, it's gonna make him a really safe wide receiver.
0: Super safe.
1: I don't think he offers the upside that Jalen Waddle offers and we haven't even seen the upside of Jalen Waddle to be quite honest with you and that's the big difference for me between the two players if their situations were the same I would love Waddle more and I I shouldn't have said the gap is significant that's probably the wrong wording but I have Pittman ahead of Waddle at this point but it's not by much and I don't think that's crazy
0: I think we know by now that you're a little bit more situational with your dynasty valuations that's all I can't I can be that's all it is. I can be. It goes back to a certain running back
1: dichotomy. No, no, please don't. Not now. Can we go one <laughs> episode, <laughs> please? Just... One... Let's go one episode where it doesn't come up. It doesn't... <laughs>
0: one. It doesn't... I beg you. How could I? It's an obligation. We can ask the chat. Chat, am I obligated? To mention the name Clyde Edwards-Hilaire on every Sonic Truth episode. Isn't it an obligation at this point? We've had this many consecutive shows where we've somehow found a reason to say the name.
1: Unbelievable.
0: Why would we stop? You've got some nerve.
1: Why would we stop? We should. For the kids, that's why.
0: Do you know who the most similar player is to Paris Campbell? No, but I want to know. Curtis Samuel. Oh, yeah. I wanted to say it out loud, but I figured I would just I would I would give you that shot. It's weird to say that because one played running back technically in college, one was a wide receiver technically in college, but the similarities between these two guys are eerie. Same speed, same level of versatility, now similar injury track record, forgotten about truth or status. It's so eerie. That these two guys from Ohio State are now on parallel tracks in the NFL.
1: Yeah, it uh, wasn't Devin Smith, a, a guy from there too. Beforehand, they're all they're all kind of the
0: same guy to me. But Devin Smith wasn't a gadgety guy. Like uh, Curtis Samuel and Paris Campbell are gadgety in a good way. They they have that in their profile. I, okay, so do the,
1: the this is so funny. So here's the difference for me. At least with Paris Campbell, I, I this is a big big underscore. Beneath this, at least Paris Campbell's injuries have been significant and we can rationalize them away. When you look at Curtis Samuel, this is the absolute worst type of injury. Strains and sprains. Let's go down the list. Hamstring strain, groin strain, groin strain, hamstring strain, knee sprain, hamstring strain, knee sprain, hamstring strain, shoulder sprain, ankle sprain, back sprain, ankle sprain. This is the worst type of player to invest in. He has all the upside in the world. But even Washington said, we don't trust him anymore. We're going to go get Jahan Dotson, add some depth to this group, get some speed. I love his upside, and he's being valued pretty low. I think he's about the wide receiver 80 on some of the consensus websites. And he's just 25 years old, so he still has that going for him. But my God, the, the hamstring strain that he has dealt with for so many years is like, when, when do we—he's not getting over this hurdle, unfortunately.
0: You don't think so? So he should be down there in the Will Fuller zone, you think?
1: For sure. I I think that's the upside that you get, right? You take the risk of a lot of games missed, but you get boom-bust performances. And to be honest with you, Will Fuller's probably a safer bet at
0: this point. Oh my God. Have you noticed that uh, Khalil Shakir is not practicing?
1: Uh, I haven't looked at that. There was
0: a news item that came across my desk, and no one was mentioning it on Twitter. And I know there's a, a lot of Khalil Shakir fans Out there, and then the Athletics Joe Bascaglia reported that uh, Khalil Shakir did not participate due to an unknown, unnamed, undisclosed injury. Was not at OTAs at all. I don't
1: know. I mean, if if they haven't made a big deal out of it, maybe it's not the undisclosed thing. Is undisclosed injury costs him all of OTAs? Did they say injury? is that that was or was it just an undisclosed circumstance
0: he writes in the athletic apparently due to injury hmm. apparently due to injury what the fuck does that mean he doesn't even know Well what is that this was already a guy that had an uphill battle to try to you know supplant over the next couple of years Gabe Davis who's essentially just a superior prospect in every way to Cole Shakir they're very similar players Gabe Davis just better across the board as a prospect. And now you're not even participating in OTAs in your rookie season. That's gonna set him back. He's probably not gonna produce at all. This is it, man. This is the this is the reason I wanted to mention him is because he's the reason why I pound the table so strongly to not draft day three wide receivers in your rookie draft and to just take running backs. Just take running backs. Don't let yourself get talked into a day-three wide receiver by Twitter and just go ahead and take Tyrion Davis-Price. Take all these running backs that we like, all these, all the way down to undrafted guys. Fuck it. Abram Smith, right? Kennedy Brooks. I'll, I'll take all those guys over these day-three wide receivers. What do you think is going to happen? What are you really going to get from him? Next thing you know, you look up, he didn't even show up to OTIA's the, the speculation is, oh, it was an injury. Typical, typical day three wide receiver.
1: If you look at, yeah, and you look at any of the guys that are you know, available in most ranking services, besides a, what, a, a Darnell Mooney and a Stephon Diggs and a Tyreek Hill, these guys just really don't exist. Oh,
0: okay. Well, listen, of all those players you just mentioned, one of them ran a 4 to 8 in Tyreek Hill, and the other had one of the more impressive prospect profiles ever drafted in the fifth round, a guy that actually came out early. So Stephon Diggs was an early declare that dropped into the fifth round for who knows why. I think there were some off-the-field concerns with him, and I think there were off-the-field concerns with Tyree Kill. So, okay, if there were off-the-field concerns, and previously Khalil Shakir was thought to be a second-round talent, then okay, right there I might make an exception but he's not. He's not a guy that slipped into day three. He's just a day three receiver that Twitter
1: likes. Yeah. It's a fact. I, I, there's nothing to add to this. I agree with you. Those other three guys are essentially anomalies in a lot of way and have a very particular skill set and athletic capability. And this was more or less just a guy and now he's got injuries and you derail the production and he's going to be buried behind other talented players. It's just It's a good team to go to, but his situation is going to certainly drag on. And we have Ray GQ
0: in the chat. And he is also quick to point out, this also applies to one Romeo Dubs, who was one of the least impressive wide receivers at the Senior Bowl. But he's tied to Aaron Rodgers. He's supposed to get some targets. Maybe, maybe he gets targets. Or maybe he's a game day inactive.
1: Well, speed at the wide receiver position is only irrelevant until we bring him up. And then it's very relevant.
0: Yeah. I mean, come on. Get out of here. Just get out of here. Again, I would rather have undrafted running backs. I would rather have Kennedy Brooks and Abram Smith just on the chance, right? Kamara's suspended. Oh, hey. Hello, Abram Smith. Oh, Kennedy Brooks was actually outproducing and supplanting running backs, forcing them to transfer. At Oklahoma State, I understand he didn't get drafted, but they were both priority ads as undrafted free agents. They were signed for more money than the other undrafted running backs. Hell, I'll take it all the way down to Julius Chestnut. Because just like we have an obligation to talk Clyde edwards Solaire in every show, we also have the obligation to mention Julius Chestnut. And he, again, whether it's Jim Wyatt from Titans Wire or wherever, there's always... A Titans beat reporter waiting to hype Julius Chestnut. You know, this goes against the grain of everything I believe in these players you know, it I does. know. Well, this is the thing, right? It's different if it's Kennedy Brooks and he's from Oklahoma with all these thousand yard seasons, right? And he was crowding out players like Ramondre Stevenson that have gone on to have impressive runs in the NFL already that's an easy case to make, that he's the only non-finesse running back on the Eagles roster. Like, Kennedy Brooks is an easy case to make, right? Of course you want Kennedy Brooks over Romeo Dubs and Khalil Shakir and all these other Day 3 guys that we may never hear from again. They're at least going to be available on your waiver wire and dynasty soon. But you get down to a Julius Chestnut, a Bryant Kobach, then that's going to test you. Because these are small school running backs that were monster producers that have either average or above average athleticism. And they're buried behind a Dalvin Cook, buried behind a Derrick Henry. And yet, and yet, because of what I said earlier, the propensity of running backs to miss multiple games every year with injuries, these are players I'm investing in. We have backfields last year where there were four running backs injured. And they were going all the way down signing guys off how many running backs were injured in Baltimore last year
1: all of them and that's why San Francisco went out and did the did the pick that they did with price I mean this was this is exactly the conversation
0: right so it, you can't tell me that even Bryant Kobach who's currently the number four running back in Minnesota right the number four mm-hmm. go look at Bryant Kobach on playerprofiler.com go look at that guy and tell me he can't play in the league Okay, I don't know why the hell his agent put him on Minnesota, why he's even returning Minnesota's calls after they drafted Ty Chandler. So he's behind Madison and Chandler as the number 4 running back. But uh, 94th percentile burst score, 33% dominator rating, 78th percentile with the 12% college target share and the requisite size that we're looking for. These are better investments than random day three receivers that Twitter likes. I agree. And the Brian Kobach thing,
1: he is, he is a certainly a monster producer. I mean, I know this is Toledo that we're talking about. This is the same thing as Kareem Hunt though. So I'm not going to dismiss it, but this is a guy that was tough after contact, had a high breakaway run rate was incredibly elusive. I mean, there's a lot to like about his profile, but you're right. Minnesota's tough. I had done a tweet about Dalvin cook the other day. He's just, He's still ageless at this point. He's outproducing everybody. But at some point, the music will stop on that. But the depth chart, not great. But you're right. Why go after these day three wide receivers? They almost never fire.
0: Forget it. Forget it. Forget it. Forget it. Meanwhile, Bryant Kobach, 52 touchdowns. And this isn't isn't Malone College, right? Ashton Doolin, right? This, This isn't Sacred Heart. Okay, this is Toledo. This is a Mac conference school. This is real football. They play real football in the Mac. I live, <laughs> I live I live, less than a mile from Sacred Heart, okay? And I can tell you with definitive certainty, without exception and without a doubt, they do not play real football at Sacred Heart. Okay, there's oh, no yeah. real football being played at Sacred Fucking Heart University. I'm shocked to hear that, by the way. Absolutely shocked. And still, and yet still... We're looking at Julius Chestnut potentially locking down that number two job behind Derrick Henry. I mean, otherwise, otherwise, you're touting Hassan Haskins. I mean, come on, child, please. I think it's going to be harder for Kobach to overtake Ty Chandler than it will be for Chestnut to overtake Haskins. That's probably a fact. I mean, that's it's
1: probably a fact. And assuming Derrick Henry doesn't go down, and again, he's getting much older. You get some spot starts out of these guys. Flip them if you can, unless you believe you have a Chase Edmonds who never really did anything, but he got another contract out of it. Give you that. Okay, he got another contract, which is great. Um, But a lot of these guys, they at least will pop in value. They will be given an opportunity. They will produce fantasy points. And as you're kind of alluding to, these day three wide receivers, God. Gotta have mercy on your soul. You're not gonna get it right. They're probably never gonna fire.
0: I I've had enough. Right? Wasted picks. Wasted picks. I you know what the you know the straw that broke the Podfather's back with day three receivers? You know the straw? Can I just tell you the straw that broke sure. that broke me? It just I was looking back at rookie drafts, and this one broke me. I drafted Seth Williams last year. And I, I can't let that happen again. I cannot let that happen. And I think Khalil Herbert went after him. I somehow missed on Khalil Herbert for whatever reason. I don't know what I don't know what I was thinking, right? I remember drafting some other flyer running backs. Maybe I was just thinking, oh well, I've had I have a couple flyer running backs here, Kylan Hill, right? Someone like that, and I'm like, okay, I have some I've taken my flyer running backs. I have some extra picks. I'll, I'll use one on. On Seth Williams, never again, never, never, never again, never. That was it. That was it. That was it. I, I was like, I haven't. No, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to have a guy cut in training camp that you drafted in your rookie draft. It's embarrassing. Well, yeah, and that's that's another problem that's totally
1: independent of this. I mean, what, even if these guys don't get cut, oftentimes they just remain buried. Whether it's
0: you know a Tylen Wallace or whatever, you know, they just don't. Oh.
1: It just never comes together.
0: Oh, it's just, oh God. It's just, it's it's instructive though. It's instructive. When you want to get your wide receiver is either the first or the second round, ideally the second round. And in that same draft, however, I was very fortunate. Yes, I drafted Seth Williams. I also drafted at the beginning of the second round in Superflex. I was able to get Rashad Bateman. This I feel great about. Did you hear him talk about how he's, quietly happy about Marquise Brown leaving and all due respect, all due respect, all due respect. Yeah. All due respect. Yeah. Not, not a ton of respect there. All due respect. Not a ton
1: of respect, but yeah, he said it's his time, right? So uh, yeah, I mean, Bateman, as soon as the Marquise Brown trade went down, Bateman's value, uh, like Amari Cooper going to Cleveland, it was an instantaneous realization of what's about to happen and their value goes up. Would you rather have Bateman or Waddle? I think Bateman's ceiling is higher than Waddle's at this
0: point. Oh, look at you. Look at you. This is amazing. Why is this amazing? I love this. I know. I love it, man. I love it. I love hearing it. I mean, again, we're not willing to go there (laughs) with the rankings, but I love it. I love it. If we had more hot takey rankings, I would absolutely go there. Oh my God. I, I don't know why this is a
1: hot, takey ranking. We just saw Marquise Brown secure immense target potential in an offense that is so razor thin. It is Mark Andrews, it is Rashad Bateman, and that is the end of the list. That's it. That's it. Okay, that's the end of the list.
0: It's like, Okay. Well, doesn't uh, Rashad Bateman have a Lamar Jackson problem? If Brandon Ayuk has a Trey Lance problem and Elijah Mitchell have Trey Lance problems, well, doesn't that mean that there's also a problem with Rashad Bateman? And the answer is no. No, imagine imagine the 49ers traded Debo Samuel, which isn't hard to imagine, by the way. <laughs> then yes, would Brandon Ayuk surge? Yes, of course. There's a big difference. If you have the target share completely consolidated, whittled down to two dudes, then the most mobile lowest volume quarterbacks can sustain two guys happily. The number one wide receiver and a top tier tight end. Just don't expect the running backs to get many targets and don't expect the IUCs or the Duvernays or whoever to get a lot of targets, but the other guys are going to get targets. Don't worry. They're going to get targets. You know, that's why Debo Samuel is still getting drafted aggressively. And yet You know, Bateman's not quite getting that same level of aggression, but he deserves it. He's amazing. He is amazing. He's exactly what we want in an NFL wide receiver. When they drafted him so late, you know, what was it? 10 plus picks after Devontae Smith. And I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Eagles? You have a guy who is clearly everything you're getting in Devontae Smith, only bigger, faster, better and because he went to Minnesota and not Alabama you're going to go with the guy that that has the Heisman trophy and the jersey you're familiar with and all the hardware but because Bateman went to Minnesota he doesn't have those things he just happens to be better at playing wide receiver more versatile better able to beat man coverage better hands better in every way like i call him explosive keenan allen That's not even an exaggeration. That's just an honest assessment of what Rashad Bateman is. And the only way that you can criticize someone drafting Rashad Bateman in fantasy football is to be like, oh, well, the Lamar Jackson offense. Oh, Lamar Jackson effect. That's all people have to hold on to right now. It, it's totally misguided. Look, even, even
1: last year with Marquise Brown in, what, just 16 total games, he had 146 targets last year. I don't think it's outside of the range of outcomes for Bateman to see 140 to 160 targets this year. The difference between Trey Lance and Lamar Jackson is probably going to be substantial, but we've seen Lamar Jackson be a great passer over the past couple years. Additionally, this was a team that was top nine in pass attempts last season, and everybody goes, oh, they're going to go back to the run. I'm not really sure how because what did they have last year? 517 rush attempts, number three in the league. There's not even any room left in the ceiling to rush anymore. And to me, you would have to make a much more difficult case to turn Dobbins into a pass catching running back than you would to turn Bateman into a wide receiver one. That's a more distant
0: argument. <laughs> that that was a hell of a comment, and I can't disagree. I love that comment so much is because it shocked me. Like it it shocked me. It shook me for you to say that. And then I'm like, I can I can I disagree with that? I don't think I can. I don't think I have a way to disagree with that. And Rashad Bateman is the wide receiver I am buying on Prediction Strike, the platform that allows you to buy players as if they were stocks. And when you use promo code UNDERWORLD, you get a free player share. Now, unlike previously reported, you can't actually pick the player. It's randomized, so it's like opening a pack of football cards. (laughs) You never know what you're going to get. Prediction Strike, get the app, promo code UNDERWORLD, buy Rashad Bateman, buy Michael Pittman. Buy, 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 buy. And when I conduct one of these startup auctions on reality sports online, I typically don't invest in a top twelve wide receiver. Those guys go for so much at auction. I'm very comfortable getting a Rashad Bateman and or a Michael Pittman as my best receiver, receivers on a platform like Reality Sports Online. I just can't stomach spending up for as much as the Justin Jeffersons and the Cooper Cups and even the Stephon Diggs go at auction and it's just fascinating you got to try one of these auctions and the beauty is with reality sports online you can they have a mock auction room where you can demo the platform check it out reality sports online promo code underworld that gets you 10 percent off a team or a league so you try the mock auction if you like it you get a team on reality sports online and then if you are enjoying that franchise tagging transition tagging and participating in an auction-based platform, which is the best type of platform. There's no reason you can't do an auction. We have the entire off-season. It's not like you don't have the time. And if you like it, you either tell your league mates to move your league to Reality Sports Online, or you start a brand new league, and again, you can use promo code UNDERWORLD to get 10% off. Fantasy just got real at Reality Sports Online. Whether it's on Prediction Strike, whether it's Reality Sports Online, all roads lead back to Rashad Bateman. The two receivers I mentioned that are fucked because of their offensive situation is the aforementioned Devontae Smith and Brandon Ayuk. Receivers I like. It's not like they're bad, but their situation has degraded significantly, and they're not Jalen Waddle-level ability. So I just can't build a case to draft them. We're below consensus on these guys. I think they're outside the top 30. And it sounds crazy because, like, oh, these guys have have flashed big-time playmaking ability. One guy had the early capital and was relatively productive last year. I mean, 11 fantasy points a game for a rookie wide receiver is good if you're Devontae Smith. But if you're not the number 1 wide receiver and you have a mobile first quarterback, what what, what, what are we talking about here? It makes it tough. They're going to run it back. They're going to run it back and get their 11 fantasy points a game.
1: It, it does make it tough. I would say the one the one argument that is pro-Devontae Smith here versus uh, Brandon Ayuk is his the way he was utilized, right? We thought he was going to be a possession receiver. Turns out he was used as a downfield threat. I mean, this is a guy that pushed nearly 1,500 air yards last year. Jalen Hurts is more accurate than given credit for. I think that's one thing that's been drug out pretty significantly over the last year is that he's an inaccurate passer where – you go to player profile, look at some of the advanced metrics that have been released here not too long ago, and you look at him versus man and zone coverage, he was a lot better than he's been given credit for. Now you add A.J. Brown to the mix. With Ayuk, we don't know what Lance is. The I think the allure for Iuk, people look back at weeks 14 through 18 where the production spiked, but that's because Debo Sambo became more of a running back than a receiver. They didn't do that in tandem. It wasn't in concert. That's part of the problem for me. It's just if I have to pick one over the other knowing that the wide receiver one's going to remain in both offenses. Give me Smith because his upside is just so
0: much greater game to game. We've seen him with Hertz. We haven't seen Ayuk with Lance yet. Yes. I'm terrified. I'm legit. So there's more uncertainty on Brandon Ayuk, which is why his lifetime value rating is not as high. It's not even in the hundreds. It's it's below that because we're terrified of what he's going to look like with Trey Lance. It's quite an unknown at this point. Shiver runs down my spine. (laughs) It really does. I mean, I. So let's get out of here with some sleepers, cheap wide receivers. You're gonna throw some darts on guys, or have in startups. Maybe throw these guys into deals. Guys, -hmm. you can throw into deals that are in great situations. I'm not talking about guys in situations that that are gonna play out uh, in a way that will potentially launch them into into some, some volume. The first guy, the easiest, is Russell Gage, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, Russell Gage performed well last year amidst a really ugly situation. Ends up on a team now where Godwin is rehabilitating. We assume he's probably going to miss the first three to four weeks of the regular season. At least. He's he's going to carry standalone value in this offense. The one thing when you look back at Tampa Bay, if you're the wide receiver three in this offense and you're not Antonio Brown, I, I think it's going to be a difficult situation to overcome. I think he'll give you variance throughout the season, if you're looking for a fill-in. I don't care. I just
0: want him for those first four or
1: five weeks. Yeah, and that's a a good place to have him.
0: Yeah, yeah. What Tyler Boyd? Tyler Boyd. This Bengals offense is going to be more up-tempo, more what we saw in the playoffs than what we saw in the regular season. Yeah. Tyler Boyd is underrated, man. 100%. 100%.
1: Tyler Boyd had 94 targets last year, which is something that I don't think really comes up often. Four top 25 weeks in a six-week span, two years left on the contract. Uh, look, he played with these two guys all year long and still found opportunity throughout the season. I There was a tweet the other day I asked people who, who's a slept-on player. Someone said, Tyler Boyd, and I go, you're exactly right. He's going to contribute. Then somebody responded to him and said basically like, you're out of your fucking mind. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, this is the guy.
0: Do you know how rare it is for both wide receivers to not miss games with injuries? For two wide receivers, the two starting receivers, to play all 34 games is very rare. There's going to be games this year, just based on probabilities, where Tyler Boyd is the number two in the Joe Burrow high-octane offense. Let that sink in. I mean, again, run the thought experiment, right? Are there going to be weeks where Brandon Ayuk is chalky in DFS? No. There's going to be none. There's going to be no weeks. Zero. You can count them up. One, two, three, zero. One, two, three, four, zero. No, let me count again. One, two, three, four, five, zero. That's how many times Brandon Ayuk's going to be chalky in DFS. It's highly possible that we're talking about Boyd being the highest owned wide receiver in DFS. That's a very distinct possibility. I mean, he's one of those wide receivers I would almost write down as being one of those guys at least once during the regular season because we know there's going to be something that happens, some toe sprain or something that happens to Chase and Higgins. And I know everyone hates me talking about this. Don't wish injuries upon players. I'm not. I'm just a realist, and I remember – how seasons play out. I remember how my start-sit decisions play out. I remember how my IR spot looks. I remember playing DFS. The fact that you all reset your brains every year like men in black's not my problem. <laughs> Alan Lazard, right? Alan Lazard. I mean, I don't love peripheral Aaron Rodgers receivers because Aaron Rodgers plays slow. But if you're the number one...
1: Yeah, I mean, this is—of all the guys we're probably going to mention amongst this list, assuming, you know, nothing changes about the situation as it exists right now, doesn't require an injury, like, this guy's got the greatest upside in terms of target potential of this list. What about Van Jefferson? I like Van Jefferson. I've been a fan of Van Jefferson. This is a guy that already had an 81% snap share last season. A dot was in the top 11, over 1100 air yards, uh, and of course he's an injury away from like an even greater opportunity.
0: So that's the thing, man. That's the thing. What are the odds that Cup and Robinson are playing 34 combined games? Very low. Therefore, Van Jefferson. I mean, it's like. Why don't you just list all the number 3 receivers in the top offenses? Like, yeah, guys, that's what we're doing. (laughs) Like, congratulations on your genius hack. Yes, this isn't hard. Fantasy football doesn't have to be hard. What could be the best offense in the league? Could be the Bengals. Could be the Buccaneers. Could be the Rams. Could be the Chargers. Who's the number 3 in Los Angeles? Josh Palmer. Josh Palmer. Josh Palmer is the ideal throw-in. The ideal thrower. He's the guy I'm throwing in. If I see anyone that else has if I don't have Palmer in the league, I'm like, oh, I got to get Palmer. I'm reverse engineering trades just to get Palmer thrown in. Palmer's
1: undoubtedly, probably again on this list, right at the very bottom in terms of how they're perceived currently for their price tag. I mean, he is dirt cheap. What about Shark. Jamison Williams not
0: going to play to start the season yeah
1: yeah yeah same, same story ton of upside uh in his potential this offense still kind of needs an alpha we're not sure where we are on St. Brown uh specifically oh St. Brown in the slot shark out wide what's not to like yeah big play
0: receivers
1: one year deal so you know this may not be
0: the final stop for him and the answer to the question of well what about Jamison Crowder yes yes uh, I'll, I'll trick the podfather. I, I can dunk on him, right? How about how about Jamison Crowder? Huh? I'm gonna I'm gonna force the podfather to tout Jamison Crowder. What do you mean force me to tout Jamison Crowder? Put it this way: We respect Josh Larkey, right? You respect Josh Larkey? He did this company proud, did he not? And when we did our draft kit, guess who Larkey wanted to do for the draft kit to break down? Crowder. Jamison
1: Crowder. Nice.
0: There you go. I mean, yeah, Beasley has more than proven. The upside of that role. Thank you. Thank you. And then also you, your friend, uh, Russell Wilson, right? Yeah. If you crank the volume up with Russell Wilson, you allow him to be himself. Let him cook. Isn't the argument that he can make three receivers, dangerous fantasy relevant in any given week. Yep. Who's yep. the number three the- in Denver?
1: Yeah. Uh, Tim Patrick. Yeah. We saw that with, uh, David Moore in
0: Seattle. He had, he had weeks, so it's absolutely possible. Don't forget about the Kirk cousins offense. Well, Who could be the number 3? Who do you think is better? Just look at the breakout finder. Who could be better than K.J. Osborne in Minnesota? If it's not K.J. Osborne, I think K.J. Osborne has a limited ceiling. I think this guy is a, is, is a better player, more versatile. I know he's missed some training camp as well, some mini camp, so that's another undisclosed injury. But he does have 100 yards on his resume. So he's not Khalil Shakir, Day 3 pick. He's a guy that actually has earned the number 4 role at the very least if not the number 3 to start the season for what is going to be one of the highest scoring offenses in the league that is Smith Marset Amir Smith Marset So he's not Khalil Shakir, day three pick. He's a guy that actually has earned the number four role, at the very least, if not the number three, to start the season for what is going to be one of the highest scoring offenses in the league. That is Smith-Marset, Amir Smith-Marset. Say goodbye to the stream.
1: See you later, stream.
0: I was having a baby on that idea, man. (laughs) I felt like I've been pushing that thing for like months. I was like, what are we going to do? we got to do something. No,
1: it's, it's cool. I mean, it's it's putting a foot into the market that obviously has uh, a lot of potential. And like you said, getting into that gaming market is pretty huge. We got to.
0: I can't yeah. stay in the content market. There's not enough upside. Whoosh. Unscheduled. Sonic Truth. I just don't want to get the bumper dropped on me. Oh, we got to do the bumper. Oh, thank you. And we got to we run the end screen. Remind me to run the end screen. But we also should do. We should do a bumper at some point. When should we do the bumper? Oh, like, we should do it right. You know,
1: right, maybe right in the middle of me talking. What are you going to do? It I'm, I'm see. bumped. It was a clever
0: setup, but after multiple episodes of having the bump dropped on me, it's a good bump. It's a good bump, man. Someone else got bumped a couple days ago. Bumped up the dynasty rankings. Did they? CD Lamb. Do you want me to bring us in first? C.D. Lamb! Go ahead and bring us in. That's enough pre-show. We're just okay. going straight into the show show. <laughs> a tease of C.D.
1: Lamb's a pre-show. All right. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. I'm your host, Nate Liss. It goes back to a certain running back dichotomy. <laughs> no, no, please don't. Not now. Can we go one <laughs> <Did> episode? <we laughs> please. One, just... Let's go one episode where it doesn't come up. It doesn't... <laughs> one.
0: i beg you how could i it's an obligation we can ask the chat chat am i obligated to mention the name clyde edward solare on every sonic truth episode isn't it an obligation at this point we've had this many consecutive shows where we've somehow found a reason to say the name unbelievable why would we stop you've got some nerve why would we stop for the kids that's why Tony Pollard's upside is top five running back in fantasy because most running backs miss multiple games with injuries. If Elliott isn't playing, Pollard is right there with McCaffrey and Jonathan Taylor. You're exactly right. You get Dak Prescott's a value right now. Everybody is. In Dynasty, in Seasonal Leagues, in Best Ball, every format. Across the board. (laughs) I like how you go out on that, but we can agree... If, if
1: we were going to pick the players from this offense that we would care to own, it goes Taylor,
0: Pittman, and I would put Hines in that conversation. You could argue that they've already struck gold with Ashton Doolin because he's an all-pro.
1: I think Bateman's ceiling is higher than Waddles' at this point. I drafted
0: Seth Williams last year.
1: This was a team that was top nine in pass attempts last season. And everybody goes, oh, they're going to go back to the run. I'm not really sure how because what did they have last year? 517 rush attempts. What the fuck does that mean? He doesn't even know.
0: I love it. If we had more hot takey rankings, I would absolutely go there. Oh, my God. Well, doesn't uh, Rashad Bateman have a Lamar Jackson problem? This is the guy. One, two, three, zero. One, two, three, four, zero. Now let me count again. One, two, three, four, five, zero. That's how many times <laughs> Brandon Duke's going to be chalky in DFS. You would have to make a much more difficult case to turn
1: Dobbins into a pass-catching running back than you would to turn Bateman into a
0: wide receiver. One shiver runs down my spine. Right? How about how about Jimison Crowder? Huh? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to force the Podfather to tout Jameson Crowder. What do you mean, force me to tout Jameson Crowder? Oh my god. I'm reverse engineering trades just to get Palmer thrown in. This is the guy.
1: you would have to make a much more difficult case to turn Dobbins into a pass-catching running back than you would to turn Bateman into a wide receiver one.